This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 612 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Easy Company moves out, Clark gets lost, Orion follows his GPS, Harley screws up the DCU, and we circle back on my bad. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, March 19th, 2023. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Justice Society of America, number three, by Johns, Janin, and Belair. We begin in 1944 with The Unknown Soldier, a G.I. with his head wrapped up. First appearance in Our Army at War, number 168, 1966. He's handing a dossier to Sergeant Rock. First appearance, Our Army at War, number 83, 1959. The dossier regards Per Degaton, and Easy Company heads on to a Nazi mad scientist base. Degaton is testing a time disc, and volunteers keep getting vaporized. Degaton, through the helm of fate, sees visions of the attack and how Degaton used the disc on himself, only to wind up in 1947. He then tries to complete Hitler's dream of conquest, as seen in All-Star Comics number 35, later reappearing to fight the JSA, number 72, from 1978. So we're now back to today with Fate, Dead Man, and Detective Chimp. Huntress relates how Degaton killed her mother, who sent her here with the snow globe. Oh, and Fate will be killed by Degaton in the future. Chimp comes up with a plan. Fate will take Huntress to the JSA, while he and Deadman will take the snow globe to Madame Xanadu. The JSA is in the midst of a fight, consisting of Jay Flash, Alan Green Lantern sporting a beard, Power Girl, Jakeem Thunder and Thunderbolt, Star Girl, the Beth Chapel Dr. Midnight, the Yolanda Montez Wildcat, both looking similar to their TV show versions. We learned both had died, but were resurrected by the Lazarus Explosion. There's a Lazarus Planet event going on right now in the DCU. They're fighting what appears to be an army of bizarros, although they all deny this, who are from Deathstroke's secret society. Huntress arrives and shoots Angleman's angle out of his hand, zapping all the not-bizarros away. Fate provides introductions. In 1945, Pertegaton watches as Sergeant Rock is killed, the last soldier shot in World War II. He returns here often to watch the war end and then realizes Huntress no longer has the snow globe. Back to today, at the JSA Brownstone, the team debates who needs to be brought in, and Bruce is mentioned being that he's Helena's father. Helena nixes that plan. They're about to go find Degaton when he appears before them. 
It's so good to see you all in your prime again, right before your fall. Next issue, the death of the JSA. Again. Now, Mark, this is just steeped in D.C. history and everything. There's no way anybody just wanting to start the JSA could ever read this. And no, no. You know what's going on. You, you, you need at least a bachelor's or maybe even a master's degree in, in D.C. history to have an, any clue as what's going on here. So do you think this kind of comic helps the comic book industry? Or hurts the comic book industry? I think it probably hurts the industry. I'm enjoying it, but I know I'm probably in the minority. <laughs> and you would buy one that would, would also be attractive to many people yes, as well. True. So, you know, if they did an intro JSA comic that actually introed the JSA, mm-hmm. that would bring more people in and not just the fanboys. Right. And this is why DC has stayed away from the JSA for so long. You you have to to go into all the history, although John's is really going much farther than it needs to. Yes. <laughs> Superman Lost, number one of ten, by Priest, Pagolian, Paz, and Cox. A story that examines an intriguing premise. Since Superman has been declared essentially immortal, what happens when a mission takes 20 years from him? The story starts with Cal saving a girl from a car wreck who happens to have a trunk full of cash. Cut to Lois and Clark at home, with the former working on an angle for a story about a senator's resignation in the midst of a scandal. Clark just wants some sexy time before he gets called out on yet another crisis, just as he gets an alert and he goes off. Lois works on her story, falls asleep, and awakens to Superman standing still in their apartment, seemingly in a daze. I've been gone. 20 years. There's a knock on the door. It's Bruce, there to tell Lois some bad news, only to be shocked by seeing Clark. They relate the mission he got the call on. A plane went down in Subic Bay, although the public is told it's in international waters. There's a sunken Chinese sub there, and a firefight resulted in a crash plane and a possible flashpoint. Not that one. The JLA was called into calming things down. While Green Lantern keeps the enemy plane separated, Flash generates electronic interference, Martian Manhunter mentally calms down the pilots, and Wonder Woman creates a jet wash to slow down the planes. Aquaman sees a salvage crew below the surface. Turns out there's no sub. It's a crashed alien ship. The salvage crew sets off a singularity inside, which could eat the planet. Batman and Green Arrow attempt to get in the vessel before the radiation keeps them back. The only one who can shut it down and survive is Superman. Diana ties her lasso to him, and the team does a tug-of-war against the Singularity's pull. In Broken Communications, they learn that Superman must stay in there to contain it, and then the ship is sucked in. The planet is saved, but Superman is assumed dead. Well, he didn't die. He was sent off beyond the stars, and he spent 20 years there, apparently. The rest of the book will tell that story. But, Mark, they have told this story before, when Superman and... Wonder Woman were sucked into an alien universe and had a whole, like, life relationship before he came back. Well, that's another good example, yeah. That's true. So. Danger Street, book four from DC Black Label by King Fornes and Stewart. As Fate's Helmet says, our story continues. The Dingbats are at the library doing an online search and confirm that Starman is the killer. They have to be shushed several times by the librarian. 
So how do you kill an alien superhero? Meanwhile, J.P. Houston of the Green Team is out in Alaska, making a pitch to turn the wilderness into money. When he turns to see his compatriots dead in the snow, with Manhunter standing over them. Houston starts running while screaming into his phone for evac, before running into a branch and cracking his head open. Manhunter chokes him out and kills him, while telling Codename Assassin, who's still on the phone, there's one, three to go. Cut to Orion, shooting through space. He turns his mother box into a galactic GPS. Routing, routing. In 13,736 miles, make a left turn. We cut to Lady Cop, who's out on the shooting range with, I guess, Guy Cop? He asks her if they need to call Superman about their case and mentions that they were given a pamphlet on what to do if you encounter a supervillain. She replies that she called Superman once as a child while she was hiding under her bed. I wasn't too loud. Maybe he didn't hear me, but I think he hears everything. That's what they say anyway. She was under the bed, deciding to become a cop. Cut to New York City and a skinhead attacking a black guy in the alley. The creeper turns the tables only to hear, You! Defending an outsider! Later, Manhunter checks in at HQ and notes that the hunt is not done. Grandmaster tells him to take joy in what he's accomplished, and we learn he's Manhunter's dad. Back to the library, where Warlord in civvies asks for a map to a local graveyard. The librarian helps him out and learns where the dead dingbat is buried. It's off to a hardware store for a shovel. Meanwhile, Jack Ryder checks in with his boy billionaire boss. He's unsure about the outsider's case. Boy billionaire asks Jack to kneel down, then viciously slaps him. How dare you? My brother died yesterday. Jack is to follow the talking points and nothing else, or Jack will be lost. Glad we could have this chat, Jack. Back to Orion. In 73 miles, make a left at the state of California. Over to Nonfat, who sees Starman in a cap drive by him. Cut to a local theater, showing the great Gadsby. Grandmaster is met by codename Assassin. While the movie's dialogue plays, Grandmaster is gassed by a box of popcorn. Is he dead? Cut to Warlord and Starman digging up the boy and wondering how their JLA dreams went so far south. And then Orion flies in. See, Travis, this is just what I'm saying. Why can't anything be good anymore? In the final nine-panel page, Nonfat tells the other dingbats about seeing Starman. Jack Ryder is on TV. Heroic Man fights Outsider and is sent to the hospital by so-called superhero. Manhunter finds Grandmaster's throne empty. Warlord pulls out a gun. To be continued. Multiversity. Harley screws up the DCU number one by Thierry and Faber. This wasn't on my poll, but when Multiversity meets Harley, it should be a good ride. Quinn returns to Coney Island and her gang of Harleys with a party at Condiment King's Restaurant. Things didn't go so great when Harley handed over the keys to her gang. Hey, it hasn't been all our fault. Some of it wasn't our fault. Actually, we have explanations for most of it. Harley asks about Red Tool, their Deadpool parody, and he shows up with her mail with a letter from Professor Incredulous. He recently died, we assume, and he's left her an inheritance, a warehouse mostly filled with props from his magic act. Oh, and a time machine in a box. Harley assumes it's a gag and jumps in. There's a pop and the box is gone. Harley sees DC history shoot past her before she lands with a whomp. 
She opens the box and finds Coney Island taken over by Starro, including her gang. She tries to fight her way out, but is about to be overwhelmed before a mysterious figure in a cloak helps her out. Come with me if you want to live. Harley is incredulous, but really doesn't have a choice. Harley and the mystery figure jump into the sewers, and the latter explains that her time jump managed to unhero the heroes, so that when Starro attacked Earth, as seen in the first JLA story, it was an easy win for the alien starfish. Who's the mystery figure? It's an older Harley, of course. Say, does anyone know a good copyright lawyer out there? My Bad Number 3 from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Ingham, Krauss, Fitzpatrick, and Orzak. Now, we covered issue 4 for the series last episode, but due to poor ordering on my pull account, the previous issue just came in. Normally, I would skip over a discussion of this one, but since it's a small poll this week and I love this series... The pizza delivery killer is still on the loose, and there's mobs running around attacking any pizza delivery guy. Also, the chandelier captured a bunch of them and brought them back to the lamp cave for interrogation, which turns into a hang binging TV shows. Manchild calls, asking if he wants to see Lady in a Cage at the Vintage Theater. Chandelier lets his suspects go, realizing they had nothing to do with it. Manchild breaks down and gets real with Chandelier on the phone, not knowing that by this point he's handed the phone to his butler. The suspects leave in a wrongly arrested bus. At the Wizard Bar, Dr. Doover is confronted by Amazon. The doctor tells her that he's run 30 simulations and in only one does he catch the pizza guy. In that one, he also gets shot. They stop by Jammington's place where he's reading Puppy Funeral magazine. Meanwhile, Manchild hears a knock at the door, assumes it's Jammington. Instead, it's the pizza killer who shoots him. Fortunately, Manchild can handle bullets. He goes green and clocks the guy, saving the day. Jammington isn't pleased. Meanwhile, Amazing Adams is on the freeway having formed a pyramid of cars. He's trying to get Rush Hour's attention, which he does. They land at a beach, and Adams is thrilled to see other shirtless guys. He tells Rush Hour that Drixen Fried Chicken wants him to be their new spokesman. Rush Hour is uninterested until he's told that they will put traffic tips on all their containers. Rush Hour says yes, and Adams looks into beach apartments. Meanwhile, Emperor King and Acid Chimp visit the supervillain prison. Emperor King is in his steel integrity suit, but Fool Face, who he's there to ask for her help, sniffs him out. We learn why Fool Face hates Emperor King in a flashback. She was attacking the Texas State House for their anti-reproductive rights stance. She was planning to use her powers to make the governor give himself an amateur vasectomy with her mind control powers. Instead, she finds Emperor King in the governor's office with a governor mask on. He was planning to do governor stuff that day. This delays things long enough for the accelerator to arrive and arrest them both. Full Face spent three years in prison while Emperor King was quickly sprung by expensive lawyers. He offers to have his lawyers look into her case, but she makes him give himself a hot foot with his suit's fire finger. He asks what he can give her to make it stop, and so she has Acid Chimp melt her cage with Emperor King left there sans suit. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. 
follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Instagram at SFPodNetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.